Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to remind you that the coziest scarf is only available through the end of this month. It's the perfect little handmade hug to yourself or a friend as winter rages on here in New York and really the East Coast, and I think I saw snow in Dallas, so it's cold everywhere. If you want to be a little extra cozy, head over to impactfashionnyc.com and get yourself the coziest scarf before it's gone at the end of February 2021. Also a reminder that you can listen to all my episodes and then discuss them with myself and other lovelies on Schmoozy. Congratulations to Hadassah Bennett, who has won $100 to impactfashionnyc.com simply by listening to this podcast or joining an episode discussion on Schmoozy. This past giveaway was so fun that we decided to do it again. I'll be picking the next winner on March 1st. All you need to do to enter is listen to this podcast or join an episode discussion on Schmoozy. Simply download Schmoozy to your phone and continue the conversation. That's S-H-M-U-Z-Y. Let's schmooze together and enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. And on today's show, I talk with a hair and wig stylist about what it's like to find a passion in a less than ideal life situation. She shares what she wishes we all knew about our wigs, why the technical details are really where it's at, and we discuss the emotional side of hair covering. One of my favorite things about creativity is the many forms it takes. I truly believe that we all have a creative spark inside of us. In this conversation, you'll hear right away from Gittel Rosenzweig why she doesn't really consider herself creative. Spoiler alert, by the end of the episode, she comes around to my point of view. I hope you enjoy this conversation with one of my all-around favorite people. Uh, You know what? People are often surprised when they hear this from me. I don't know about little. Um... But I was an awkward teenager. I did not have a lot of friends, and I'm a super social person now. And I find that people are very often surprised when they hear about that. Um, you know, I wasn't in the popular group in high school uh, or even elementary school. Um, but I was always friendly. I don't think I've changed much in that respect. You know, like I, I think <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. My dad said that I was the kid that they thought they would need to buy a leash for because I walked up to a lady on Avenue J, like on the busy local street. And I said, wow, you're pretty, you know, like kind of like that, you know, like that's, that's, I think like the summation of Gittel as a kid, you know, um, I definitely got into some trouble. I definitely had a big mouth. Uh, and I answered back a lot, you know, um, but I also keep in mind, Rifki, you know, we're friends, but like our friendship definitely crosses a lot of years and um I'm an old lady you know like I come from a slight I I know I, I come from a very different generation than you and so that much older than me uh do we need to go there <laughs> oh wait I'm probably pretty close to Miriam's age actually right exactly, oh yeah you know okay. Miriam is Gittel's daughter for everyone okay <laughs> right? I take so it back fine I you, you married, are much older than me <laughs> right I have a married daughter and you know Rifki is uh pretty newlywed you know as compared to me so uh I think that we um you know we're our friendship is is interesting because it crosses a lot a lot of years but I come from a very different generation 
where like we didn't talk back to our parents, but if there was a kid that was going to talk back to our parents, it was me. <laughs> so, you know, like, so that's my personality, kind of like a stifled and, and people, by the way, people think I'm a creative. I'm not a creative person, by the way, I, you're a creative, you like creating things. I'm a technical person. So what I create comes into my head from like angles and, you know, like calculations, not from like seeing pretty things and then making them into reality. Um, but that is fascinating. Well, cause, cause I also do, I get stuck in that, in that, in that dichotomy a lot also, because I think that a big part, like particularly, and it's so true for hair also, it's one of those things that like, you can see a beautiful dress, but if you don't know how those seams come together and what the inner structure of that is and the scaffolding, as my mom says, like to hold right. those kinds of things up, then you can see the most beautiful thing, but if you, then you won't be able to create it. You have right. to have that like technical backing and knowledge. And I, sometimes I start from either place. Like I can tell in my pieces, which one started in my head as like math and which one started as like pretty flowers. And then they, and then they all kind of meet around in the same place. I think that only I can tell the difference, but what, what, what makes you so sure that you, you don't come from a kind of soft, creative place? Um, okay. I'm not the artistic sister. That's why we have in the family, we have the artistic sister and I'm the sister who, um, I, I did not like reading growing up. I did not get like getting lost in like historical fiction books and like stuff like that. Like I, I, if I read, it was like Archie comics, you know, like I was not into reading. Um, and, and there is in the, in my family, there is the creative sister. She actually went to, you would love her, um, and, uh, sit down and have a chat with her. Maybe she should be your next uh, podcast guest. <laughs> Um, she went to FIT and she got into textile design and then she became a mommy and stopped working, but she still does seamstress work and she still does alterations at home. Um, like I go into her basement and she's got like, I don't know, four different sewing machines and I don't even know what half of them do, <laughs> you know? Um, but like you said, like, if you don't understand like the nap of the fabric, like the different directions that you can place a fabric, I'm that technical person that understands how the fabric was put together first before I put it into a design. Right. Um, you well, know, just, I I'm going to push back on something just because you apart. weren't the artistic sister, you know, just because your, your sister was the one who like did the FIT and did the creative art school and whatever, that doesn't make you not creative. It might not make you the most creative among your siblings, but it certainly doesn't make you not creative and I've seen some of the wigs you've put together there is creativity there <laughs> but it's more I I'm an I'm a construction nerd okay I'm, a, I'm a science nerd I um I love like if if you had to ask me what's my favorite part about making wigs after fitting and making people's heads like you know creating something that molds exactly to their head and understanding people who have one ear higher than the other and their ears are further back and up and their hairlines are deeper and stuff like that after all of that my other favorite part of hair and wigs is color i love the science of opening the cuticle and the chemistry of developer plus color and the chemistry of the different types of color that don't use ammonia and stuff like that. I'm, a, I'm, I'm such a nerd. 
I'm a complete science nerd. What is, and a, when I, what is a cuticle on a hair? I'm used to cuticle on nails. Right. I have no idea what that means in hair. Exactly. See, I, and, and, and if you start talking to me about cuticles, we could take up this whole podcast <laughs> on just cuticles. Like, I'm, give, me, I'm, give me the three second primer. What is a cuticle? Um, just as your, your fingernails have cuticles that grow over your fingernails, mm-hmm. um, your hair has a cuticle that grows on it. And as it comes out of your head, it goes down the hair shaft looking kind of like dragon scales. And um, those dragon scales function as a coating, the same way your cuticle functions to strengthen your fingernails. Um, it acts as a coating sealing the hair. It seals the color in. If you don't care for the cuticle properly and you don't care for the hair properly and you don't keep the cuticle soft enough, smooth enough, when it's soft and smooth, it, um, it channels the natural oils in your hair, in your scalp, down the hair and keeps your hair hydrated when they're not properly cared for. Um, well, if you've ever seen split ends in your hair, that's actually what you're seeing. You're seeing the cuticle peeling off of the hair. And so, and the cuticle, a healthy cuticle is a representation of healthy hair. And in order to learn how to color, you have to know how your chemical, um, your chemical formulas are affecting the cuticle. That is fascinating. I I'm telling you, I could go on for hours. I can see that you are like in a, you're in a trance a little bit. We're we're on video call now. And I could, I just, I, I, it's a three words and, and Gitzel's already, already off and going. Okay. We'll do a separate podcast on like. So that's why, so that's why full circle. That's why I think of myself as a much more technical person, because when I get lost in, in the technicals of how hair works and how the construction of a wig works because they're two entirely separate things right when I get lost in those technicals you see me like when when I'm talking to you about it I close my eyes and I start like talking myself through it I'm I'm I don't have a photographic memory but I'm visualizing I have a very visual memory and I'm visualizing what I'm talking to you about as I'm showing it to you because like you said we're on video call I'm showing you with my fingers how the cuticle is shaped like dragon scales when I close my eyes and I get lost in that I'm seeing it under a microscope I'm seeing the pictures that I've googled I'm seeing the pictures that I know I'm seeing the wigs that I've seen the damage on I'm seeing all of that like when I'm talking to you and that's why I feel like I'm not the creative sister you know like and 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 I'll go one further I studied something entirely different in college and what was it I studied hotel and restaurant management I can and see I you took- being fantastic at that. <laughs> so I, yes and no. Um, we're talking about 20 something years ago and um, feminism and, and equality in, in the industry was not what it is today. And I would hope that women fare better in that industry now than they did back then. But it was a bad place for a 20 year old woman to be. And sure. um, yeah, I even faced some some sexism and some outright abuse from co-students in one of my classes and there was a guy that the chair of the department was trying to graduate out of the department early to get rid of him because there were so many females who complained to get about him um like that yeah we because because the kitchen was and um still possibly is a very intimidating place for women um professional kitchens and um, I took all my electives in baking and decorating, and I planned to go into party planning. 
and I taught cake decorating for a while after I graduated also um, before I got full time into hair and kind of on the side, I taught evening classes while I was working full time in wigs. Um, so, but still it was a very technical thing for me, but I will tell you that when I exercised more of the creative side, one of my baking electives was a class where we participated in a salon of culinary arts at the International Hotel Motel Restaurant Show in the Javits Center. And I was put on a team making a wedding cake for the, uh, for the show. Um, and our class won a blue ribbon. It was, it was, you know, like a fantastic thing. Our, our school won a blue ribbon at the show every year because um, our, our teacher was fantastic. And um, I was putting together this wedding cake. I spent over 60 hours creating gum paste flowers. And I promise you, by the time I was finished sitting up nights, creating these gum paste, we made um, a winter themed floral bouquet for our wedding cake. And by the time I was finished with 60 hours of creating gum paste flowers, I promise you, I couldn't add two plus two. I'm so sure. I do know that it's possible to exercise one side of your brain and have the other side of your brain just completely atrophy while you're mm -hmm. exercising. So I know that it's possible to cross over from being a little more creative to being a little more technical, but I think I always lean and I'm always a little more comfortable in the technical aspect of things. I think that that's what makes me say I'm the technical brain. I'm not the creative brain. What, aside from the toxicity of the industry, which I'm sure, I mean, even today you hear about horror stories in professional kitchens, which is kind of ironic, but either way, um, you, I, which I'm sure that, you know, the, that industry was so, so toxic. Was there a reason aside from that, that you decided to switch? I was... 23, um, 22, uh, mother of a, a 22 year old mother of a one year old. And um, I graduated at the same time that my ex-husband decided to leave me. And <sighs> I worked a summer in like a day camp as a as a, as a Mora teaching four-year-olds, as a teacher for four-year-olds. And then I needed a job because I was going to be a single mom. And um, I was teaching cake decorating nights and evenings um, two, three times a week, but I couldn't make it into a full-time job. So I went out and I got a full-time job. And the first full-time job that I fell into, um, and it was such a Jewish geography kind of connection, um, where my new brother-in-law's sister was working at a place and they were looking for an assistant. And, um, you know, my sister had just gotten married. And so my brother-in-law's sister had this idea for me and, um, and it worked and I fell back into wigs. I also had taken a semester off when I was pregnant with my daughter and I had worked in wigs also. Um, so I, I just fell back into wigs. And when I was in high school, and I was trying to decide what I wanted to do with my life, because um, my parents were very into you're going to get a college degree, it was either cooking or hair, and you couldn't get a college degree, you still can't get a college degree studying beauty, um, you can get a cosmetology license, but there is no college degree for, uh, for beauty, um, for beauty professionals. And so my parents were very into college degrees. And so I went into hotel and restaurant management 
uh, because that was the one of my two passions that provided uh, college education. And, uh, and then as soon as I finished school, I fell back into wigs and I never looked back. Um, and I think it took me possibly eight to 10 years to sell all of my school tools and cake decorating teaching tools and really like give up on the idea of going back to that. Um, but at that point I was, you know, like, I think heart and soul in the wig industry, you know, like I, I had taken um, other full-time jobs, like, you know, when job A and job B ended and uh, I had taken other full-time jobs in other industries. Um, but I always held out hope that I might go back to teaching cake decorating. And um, eventually I just, it, it, it took me a while to give up the idea that I was never going, going back to it. And that I was heart and soul full into wigs, you know? Right. I mean, especially because this transition happened in what I'm sure was a less than wonderful portion of your <laughs> life um, when when your ex is leaving. Was that, you know, right now you are so passionate about wigs. I You, you were off in a trance talking about hair cuticles only moments ago. And, <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's clear that you really do love what you do. In my head, if I was forced to do something because of a life situation I usually cuss with you and I'm making sure that I don't now <laughs> this is why I'm talking very slow people in um, real life I cuss like a sailor um <laughs> when you know when when you're when you have this less than ideal situation and then it forces you into something that you normally wouldn't be in that like hair was very much this plan b and now you are so passionate about it and so well versed in it and just so really good at it and and you really embraced hair what was that process like um well like I said it was never really plan b because I always had two plan a's okay you know so my plan b was just really super close to my plan a so I never really felt like it was plan b um like I said when you know like when I was job hunting when I took a semester off from school and I was five months pregnant and I wasn't going to go back to school for you know a solid six months and I was job hunting, um, I, I was so happy that I fell into wigs. Like I was so happy I found a job in wigs. And maybe, maybe that was just a line that I used to sell myself on the interview, but it sold me. And I was happy that I stayed <laughs> in it. And I, and I found myself loving certain aspects of it. I didn't just go to work. I mean, I was also you know, eight, nine months pregnant, I worked until, I don't know, like, you know, a week before I gave birth. So, um, like, I wasn't necessarily enthusiastic on some days, but, you know, I, I was so happy that I learned to reposition clips for people, you know, like I was a sec, I was in a secretarial position, but like when somebody needed a clip sewn in, I was the one who sewed it in. And I was just so happy that I was like, figuring out a place, like how to take in wigs for people it was like silly little things that she gave me to sew on the side. And like, it wasn't even part of the job description, you know, like, and, and, and I was so happy to do those things. I was also happy to put my head on the table and nap during my lunch break, but you know, like, but, um, but I, I, I was happy that I fell into plan B. So like, I wasn't, I never really felt like it was so plan B. I always felt like it was two alternative plan A's, you know? Um, I think there's a lot of other trauma. And if we wanted to do a whole podcast on trauma, we could do a whole podcast, a whole separate podcast on trauma also. Um, there was other trauma related to, you know, like 
what I got forced into in life, you know, um, and, and other things that it took me years and years to let go of because of getting divorced and because of stuff like that. But I don't, I don't think that wigs was one of them. I don't think it was ever really like a plan B for me. I think it was always a, an alternative plan A, you know, I, I think that it took me a while to, you know, like I said before, to let go of the possibility of the original plan A, but I was kind of forced into the original plan A to begin with because my parents were very like, you must get a, a college education. So like, you know, that's kind of why I was sort of forced into, that's a lot of kind of for, you know, like sort of, I know what you mean. But you get, you get what I mean. So I think there are these kind of ephemeral things that are not, you know, nobody stood over your, stood over you with a gun and said, you must go to college, but you had to go to college. Right. And, and I don't know that if given the choice, if the choices were equal, that I would have chosen baking over hair, if I was given like a real choice. So like, I guess kind of like, it didn't bother me that I fell back into hair at all. Right. That's such a deep question. Like it really made me think. Uh, no, I mean, it's, I think that in, I'm 44 years old, these things are so 20 years ago, like, you know, like it's so it's been a, a lifetime ago, it's a full lifetime ago, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, with, yeah. with all of these things, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, there are certain decisions that don't, well, sometimes they do, but like, sometimes they, they don't necessarily feel enormous at the time. Like taking that secretary job in the hair salon probably did not feel like a major life decision, but it did steer the course of your life. And then looking back, totally. like, yeah, totally. and, and thinking back on like all those little decisions that lead to major decisions and that shape your life. It's a, it's an interesting thing, I guess. I'm not actively still in touch with the, uh, with the stylist that I worked for back then. But when I do, I, I live like four blocks away from her. Um, but we both lead very busy lives, but any opportunity over the years, that I have had to run into her or be in touch with her for one reason or another, um, I was thrilled to revisit that part of my past. Um, you know, the contacts I made um, in that, and I was with her for what, like six months, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe even four months, you know, like, but, but the contacts I made in that time, the things that I learned, the things that motivated me, because while I was working for her, I cut wigs for my friends on the side, you know, and, and, and that was for sure. That was, that was the diving board into the rest of everything that I've learned over the years. Um, I even, I, I got in touch with and came in contact with again, people that I knew from my childhood that later that, that when I was working for her, I became in contact with again, because like I was placing orders for her and getting to know like people in the industry that, two, three years later, when I was divorced and starting to build up for myself and build my own business on the side, having those contacts was super important to me. And I was able to tell people, hi, remember me, you know, I used to work for her. So now I'm doing this for myself. And they were like, oh, hey, sure. Here's some wigs. Right. How did you know what you were doing? Had you taken any hair classes or anything like that? There you- no, there, I don't want to say there's no formal there's no, there's no FDA of wigs. I say this all the time. You see it on my Instagram all the time. Also, um, you know, there's no FDA of wigs. So there's no formal education process. There's no cosmetology school for wigs. Um, wigs are barely touched on in cosmetology schools. Um, and the differences between hair and wigs are barely discussed. Um, and construction of wigs 
is never discussed. And um, I, like I said, I'm in the industry for, for 20 plus years now. So I've seen the, um, the gold standards of construction change over the years also. And so I've learned a lot about, um, about the different constructions because I'm a sponge, because I'm, I'm that kind of person. And we could, you know, we could go back to the whole, I'm not the creative sister and, you know, like the technicals that I get into um, and why I am who I am and how I, I become who I am. Um, a lot of my personal gift, you know, like, like I said, I'm not the gifted sister when it comes to creativity. My personal gift is, is an ability to absorb a tremendous amount of information and reuse it. Um, I just, I, I'm a sponge. I like, and, and I never liked reading, but I like absorbing information. And so I learned a lot about construction over the years and just from hands-on experience. And as constructions changed, like the way that wigs looked from the inside out was so different 20 years ago than it is now. And so I've been along for the ride with the industry for all those years. I mean, it was a lot of watching and learning. You know, there was no real FDA. I eventually did take at, not at that first job, but at the next job that I fell into, um, I eventually did take a cutting class, one cutting class. Um, and I am proud to say that I am currently still in touch with and following the instructor from that class. But like I said, there is no FDA of wigs. There are a lot of different um, courses out there, um, different stylists who've deemed themselves teachers, um, some for better and some for worse. And I won't get into, you know, who's good and who's not. Um, but because I do the same, you know, like I made myself into an educator um, strictly because I just feel like I have so much to share. But um, there were no formal courses on how to cut wigs. Right. And so, you know, so I did a lot of it from watching and learning, um, you know, like they say, um, and, and, and people will ask me now, which course should my daughter take if she wants to get into the industry? Which course should I take if I want to learn? And I tell them all the same thing, get a job and work for cheap and keep your eyes and ears open and your mouth shut. And you will learn so much more than you will learn in any of the non-certified, non-FDA approved courses that you can take out there. I really, I, I like my life goal would be possibly to be the FDA of wigs, you know, to be that person that creates some sort of standardization um, you know, organization of wigs, but you know, like, uh, that's, that's just pipe dreams, you know, like that's like, you know, the kind of things like you dream about when you go it to might sleep happen. I think, you know, this lack of standardization is the, in general, it's such a cause of just annoyance and frustration across so many different industries. Fashion has this with sizing that the lack of standardization there basically means that everyone's making up their own size. And with right. wigs, the lack of standardization, the lack of, like you said, some kind of degree in um, makes it makes it much more difficult. Be Impactful will be right back after this little break. 
We are supported by I Was Supposed to Have a Baby. Are you thinking about having a baby and have lots of questions? Maybe you're in the middle of a fertility journey and looking for more support. Did you just lose a baby because of miscarriage or stillbirth and the grief is completely overwhelming? Is someone you care about struggling to have a baby and you don't know how to support them? I Was Supposed to Have a Baby and Sviva are proud to announce the first annual Jewish Fertility Support Summit on Monday, February 22nd, 2021 at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Times, featuring representatives from 11 different fertility organizations across the United States. Fantastic organizations like Atime, Bone Olam, Pua, and Nahama Comfort, and more. They will be there to answer all of those questions. Everyone is welcome, men and women, and you can register for this free virtual summit at I was supposed to have a baby.org slash summit or go to at I was supposed to have a baby on Instagram for more details. You are not alone to me the fact that there's like hair and makeup kind of go in my head in the same category i know that's not totally fair but it does it's fine no 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 it's okay and I'm, I'm, I'm all right being lumped with that you know by the way all the way in the beginning i did makeup also i actually did know that the <laughs> um the the thing in my head is though is that like when you're doing someone's makeup if you do a bad job makeup remover like makeup remover and try again it's not the stakes are pretty low it'll take a little bit longer you know your client might be annoyed but it's pretty low when you're talking about cutting a wig that's a high stress situation like you should be trained for that so i'm gonna tell you um i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna take a step back and i'm gonna repeat some of what i said before um i think i told i don't know if it was before we started recording or after i told you that uh, my life story has been on a couple of different podcasts that I've guested with, you know, different friends, um, specifically um, uh, Tippy from Hava Tribe um, has a podcast, Stunning Success, and I guested with her. And um, and she uh, she asked me how I got into the business. And what I explained to her was that when you're a single mom, and even when you're a single woman um it's an easy low investment industry to get into um but as you stay in the industry and learn and expand more you take on more responsibility and our industry has a um and when i say our industry i don't mean wigs in general i mean specifically wig stylists serving jewish communities um, we have a bad rap. We have a reputation of being pushy, of being thieves, of being, I mean, I've heard it all. Um, there was a, there's a Facebook group uh, that somebody was ranting about wig stylists, um, and uh, I'll try to send it to you after. But basically, somebody posted a rant that she went with a friend who was getting married to a very popular local wig stylist. and the wig stylist gave her the friend, not the bride, who was there for her new wigs, gave the friend a lot of unsolicited advice about how nerdy and layered and out of style her wig was. Unsolicited, and she didn't come there for a wig for herself. She came there for a wig for her friend. And she, was, she wasn't raging against the industry, but one of the comments raged specifically against the whole industry and said, yeah, they all tend to be terribly pushing, uh, pushy. And, um, and, and I commented, I answered, and I think the woman who, 
who posted that comment about all wig stylists being pushy. Um, I think she deleted her comment because of how I answered her. I said, this is a sweeping generalization that is offensive, right. you know, and not all of us are like that, but we have a bad rap for a reason. And I think that part of the reason is because there's no oversight, because there's no, um, there's no FDA, because there's no, you know, there are no, there, there's no rules about how you get into the industry, but it's easy to get in in the beginning. And I think that ease gives people the disillusion that, and the fact that there are so many of us gives people the disillusion that everybody just gets into it for the money. And people don't realize you can get into washing and setting them, you know, um, and washing and styling wigs, super easy. You just take your neighbor's wig and your other neighbor's wig and boom, you made a hundred dollars that you wouldn't have otherwise had, you know, and if you do it three, four times a week, you're making an extra couple of hundred on the side, you do it 10, a couple of times a day, and you're making a full salary for the week. So it's easy to get into. But the deeper and the longer you get into it, the more liability you take on. So yes, it is super scary. Um, I'll tell you the one thing that I've always told people, like I have, when people are sitting in my chair and I cut their wig and they look down at the floor and they're like, oh, that's $100. Oh, that's $50 right there. Like every time I, I mean, I've heard it a thousand times, you know, people say these things. So I have my standard answers that number one, um, at this, you know, point in my career, where, you know, like, I'm, I've been doing this for long enough, I know that I have to cut a certain amount for it to look like something, because you could have a $500 wig, and you could have a $5,000 wig. And if you don't cut that $5,000 wig, it's not going to look better than that $500 wig, right. if you don't cut it properly. And so at this point in my career, I know that. So these are part of my patent answers. My unspoken answer is, you know, like you got, you got to, I'm trying to say it without being rude, you know, like <laughs> you got to break some glass to, to, to go places in life. You know, you got to break that. You got to break feeling. some eggs to make some know, omelets. I, thank you. I was going to say some, break some rude stuff. So like I was, you know, like I was trying to figure out how to, you know, like, I, thank you. Eggs, omelets. Yes. Lemonade. We got to crush some lemons to make some lemonade, right? There we go. Um, Keep it PG, Gittle. I know. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, I know that I have to, I have to cut in order to make something look wearable. And, and that also takes us full circle right back to that, you know, that first conversation about construction, about being, me being a construction nerd. If you understand how wigs are built, in which direction the hair is sewn and stuff like that, and the places where seams have to be covered so there's extra density and stuff like that, and, and how that density contrasts against the human head and that the denser places in wigs are normally the less dense places on human heads and so you have to remove density in those places like that's what makes me the technical brain and that's what makes me not the creative sister you know um that that i i approach all cuts as looking at the construction first and what needs to go in order to make this look wearable right i think that See, I think the thing that you get stuck in is that those technical parts are part of the creative process. That's what makes the creative process work. I'll let you convince me that I'm really at the heart a creative person because of my technical inclinations. I'll let you have that. 
Good. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> I wanna I wanna talk about something that we talk about ad nauseum um, among ourselves, and that is the emotional side of hair covering, because it is it is a weird thing to do, especially, I mean, I understand that like, if you grow up, let's say in certain fits, like if you're um, a hijabi, then you are covering your hair always, you know, from the time that you're a little girl. And it probably comes naturally to you the same way that, you know, dressing modestly comes naturally to me. But the way that I grew up hair covering was not a part of that modest dress. It only becomes a thing once you're married and wigs are weird. They're just strange looking and not, not, not on your head, but like, by themselves they're just weird it's a weird thing to do and oh i've heard that a hundred thousand times like it's just so strange that as a religious observance we take somebody else's hair and put it on our head yes yes. it's weird at the heart of the matter it is weird like creepy like twilight zone weird yeah it's a very strange it's a very strange thing to do and it's something actually i mean i've been married for a little bit over three years now so like you said relatively newlywed and it was something that the first time that i put that wig on i felt like i had a new face i i put it on and it was because i didn't have this when i was buying them when i was buying them and i was single and i was like wearing them for like oh i don't know 20 minutes at a time while they were being cut or styled or or whatever um it was like that first morning when i put it on and of course it took me like an hour to figure out how to get this thing on my head and and i and i and i looked in the mirror and i literally felt like i had a new face i was like okay this is what married rifki looks like and it took me i think really only until recently and I think the biggest difference was that I got a pretty significant haircut on my actual hair and it's awesome. I really, really like it. Um, but it's super short. It's super short. And I didn't go super, super short, fun, by the way, I'm looking at it now. Thank and let you. me tell you something. Well, this is the like, like just rolled out of bed version. It's much better when it's like styled and like cute and curly up here. That's the funniest one. That's it's the very... version. <laughs> the, the just got out of bed version. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that the thing, ironically enough, the thing that helped me find my space in hair covering that like made me really much better about wearing the wigs was taking the time to, not even the time, it was, there was something about doing something so drastic that I love to my real hair that made covering easier. Um, not only just from, I didn't do it for the convenience of it, though it is incredibly convenient. I have a pixie cut now for anyone um, who I, okay. What I will do is that after I, after this podcast publishes, I will post to my Instagram story, the inspiration pick that I used for this That's haircut. That's such a good idea. That's such a good and idea you'll, to give you'll, people you'll, a visual. Right. And then, and you'll get an idea of what it is, but basically my, I look like Carrie Mulligan with curly hair, um, <laughs> with dark curly hair and that do it. And I did it because I wanted to do something different. And also like, I just, I was just in the mood. I just wanted to do it. And yes, it made my life so much more convenient because I don't have the ponytails and everything underneath right. the wig and it dries so quickly, which is fantastic. Um, fun fact. I actually had to get my husband to teach me how to dry my hair because I was like, it's still wet after I come out of the shower. Why is it not just like drying? And he's like, well, you need to towel dry it. Like you need to <laughs> show me like what he does with the towel. I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, but just for those who are listening, who aren't aware, um, putting a wig on, first of all, long hair and second of all, wet hair are both problems in and of themselves. And, you know, like, so, so that's ca- part of what makes this haircut so freeing for you is that it takes so much of the hassle of wig wearing out 
of the equation. And, and so that, right. you know, like definitely we could get into the psychology of that. And, and if I knew that you were going to go in this direction with the conversation, I would have told you to start the podcast with this because we could do a whole podcast on the psychology of wig wearing. I could spend, there are people who sit in my chair and they tell me, get you should write a book. And I ask them all the same question, which one? <laughs> because I have volumes to write. Oh. I have, I could write, I mean, I could write an entire series on, on the different psychologies of different customers. I could write an entire series on, on getting divorced at 23 and, you know, and getting remarried and rebuilding a family and blending families. I could write an entire series on building your own business. I could write an entire series on, like I said, the customers. I could write an entire series just on putting on wigs itself. And, and I, I've had, it's, it's so hard to say this and I'll, I'll try not to be offensive, but I've had girls and I'm using the word girls for a reason, not women. I've had girls sit in my chair and cry the first time I put a wig on them. And you have to play therapist. I've had women, and I said girls for a very specific reason. These are not people who are ready to get married. This is a very specific social construct that, a, that they are stuck in. And they think that they want it. And that's why I said girls, because these are not people who understand what marriage is about and what it takes to stay married, et cetera. And again, these are things that I, 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 I'm a marriage counselor. I'm a therapist. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a parenting coach. I'm a, I'm a lactation consultant sometimes, you know, and I, you know, and, and, and these are things I choose to be for people because, you know, going back to, you asked me what was Gitta like as a little girl, I was always there for people, you know? Um, And even though I wasn't popular, we were playing elimination and this girl who was like five years younger than me, six years younger, seven years younger than me, slipped and fell on the concrete in the backyard. And she scraped up the whole back of her thigh, like up to her tush. And, and, um, and, and all the parents were sleeping. It was like a Shabbos afternoon, a Saturday afternoon, and all the parents are napping and we were all playing outside. And I was the one who took her inside and, you know, washed it with Bactine or peroxide. I don't even remember what I used and bandaged her up with Bacitracin and like got the gravel out of her, like the bottom of her thigh, you know, like, and everything. I was that person who was like always there for people. So like when I'm standing behind the chair and I'm cutting your wig or I'm putting a wig on you and your eyes start going all red and teary, I'm going to sit there and have a hour long conversation about why you love your hair and hate this idea. Or if you hate the guy that you're marrying and your parents set him up and, you know, and, and, and we have to go talk to the parents now about like why this is all wrong. You know, like I'm that person. And, and we could go on and on and on about the psychology. I of have, this a, I have a, a, a quick question on what you said. You mentioned that, you know, you made this distinction between girls and women and girls who are not ready to take that next step into, and to become married and, and who are, you know, stuck into the social construct of it all. Did you feel like that with your first marriage? Um, no, I actually, I, I, like I said, I was, I was, you know, like a bit rebel without a cause kind of teenager. And, um, I, I met my husband in my, my first husband independently. We met at a, at a Shabbaton, a weekend getaway type thing in the city. 
um, not even in the school I was in, in the school he was in. And um, my brother went to a neighboring school, like not even that school and uh, dragged me along and, um, you know, for the weekend. And I met all these new friends and that's where I met him. And we were friends for a year before we dated. Um, I think that part of the social construct is why I wanted to be a mommy so early and why I, you know, like, like, you know, the whole playing house kind of thing. So I think that that was a lot of that. Um, but I don't think that that had to do with the, with the initial motivation nor failure of my first marriage. I think that, you know, um, and, and again, we could write a whole book about this one too. You know, like, I think, I think I married him for all the wrong reasons. You know, like, I think, um, I thought that we were best friends and, um, and that I was just, I was going to fix his flaws, you know, like, and that's like, you know, you never marry anybody to fix them, you know? Um, so I think that that was my role in, in the fall of my first marriage. I was married for a whole three, three years. Um, so it wasn't a tremendous amount of time. I was, I was single and divorced, you know, like lo way longer than I was married. Um, I, you know, I was a single mom for eight and a half years. Uh, you know, so, so that was, I think that's definitely in retrospect, um, a much bigger part of the learning experience that I think changed me from girl to woman. Being a single you know, mom. I, I think I was still a girl when I got divorced, you know? Um, I mean, obviously I was a mom, so I wasn't so much anymore, but, um, and, and having a baby also changed me a lot, you know, responsibility wise and life goals wise and uh, commitment wise and stuff like that. But, um, but I used the distinction girl versus woman um, more in reference to the fact that these are, these are young people who are sitting in my chair about to embark on the next stage in their life. And their biggest concern is that they're not gonna look like themselves in the mirror. And, that psychology is a huge part of what I do in my business, um, getting into people's heads and understanding the image that they're looking for when they're looking in the mirror. But, um, but, and, and I shouldn't judge these young girls because they're, they're victims of circumstance and they're victims of, of like, you know, like we said, of the social constructs that make them think that it's important for them to get married at 19. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like if they're still worried about how they look more than they're worried about, you know, the fact that they're embarking on a, on a tremendous undertaking of, of getting and staying married and what it involves to stay, to get into and stay in a life commitment relationship. Um, and, and I think that's why I, I, maybe I was being a little judgy, you know, when I said that. But um, like I said, there's so much psychology behind it. There is so much that, that we do that all hair professionals do. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this, but Shalom Task Force, which is an organization that, uh, that aims to, um, I think their, their goal is to help anyone who's in, um, who's in abusive relationships yeah, they're a domestic abuse hotline and service. Right. And they also do a lot of prevention. Right. Where they they do a lot of um, 
uh, counseling and programs for helping people maintain their relationships before they get into domestic abuse uh, situations. Um, and um, they were talking as, as long as 22 years ago, they reached out to, they used to create seminars for wig stylists being the equivalent of hair professionals because the hair industry is known you know, you confess things to your bartender and you confess things to your hairstylist. And this is in the world in general, in the secular world in general. So within our community, the equivalent of a bartender is your shaitelmacher, your hair, your wig right. stylist. So, you know, so um, they, they've been, Shalom Task Force has been reaching out to hairstylists as, as the confidant that women reach out to in abusive situations. And they created seminars like as long ago as 20 years ago, you know, like for, for wig stylists to know how to sensitively approach a situation when they're confronted with it, because, because people do confess to us. And I can't say for sure that I've ever had a client confess that she was in an abusive relationship to me. I've had a lot of mother daughter relationships that deteriorated in my chair, you know, sure. and I've had to deal with, um, and, uh, and I have to deal sensitively with both sides because I can't just defend a daughter in an abusive relationship where the mother is paying the check, you know, like, so I have to get paid at the end of the day. <laughs> right. So I have to defend both sides, you know, like, and, and help everybody see both angles. Um, you know, I play peacemaker, I play therapist, I play, I mean, I've had, I've had a lot of fully grown women in a position where their mothers were like, we're talking about senior citizen mothers were, were deteriorating and dying, fully grown women who were talking to me about caring for their parents after years of having been in an abusive relationship as a daughter, having to care for the abusive parents now as the parent is deteriorating. I mean, we could go on for hours about the stories that I've heard, you know, I can dealt with and therapy through, you know, like uh, there are, there's for sure there are women out there who are in bad marriages who are buying wigs to make themselves feel better. Retail therapy at its finest. Um, there are women who are in good marriages who are retail therapying away their relationships with their parents, you know? Right. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's, it's a complicated thing. I want to, we, unfortunately, this was so fun. We do have to wrap things up. The last, um, one of the, I know we could do this a hundred times, by the way, we, we'll make, we, we'll make plans to do it again after busy season. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, what is something that you think, um, that like either quick and easy or not so quick and easy, what can I do if I'm listening to this and I don't feel so great in my wigs or about myself in my wigs, what is something that I can do to, to, to not, maybe not fix it, but make it a little bit better. Um, so, I mean, a little bit of shameless self-plug here, but I do have a YouTube channel and I do address um, the things you can do at home to take care of your wigs. And, and at the heart of not loving your wig is being scared of your wig. And so I feel like the people who learn what you are and are not allowed to do to your wig get more comfortable feeling more fresh on a daily basis because wigs can get very helmety looking and these are things that I've that I've shared over time 
on YouTube, on a blog, on this, on that. I've, I've tried like, you know, everything but a podcast. Um, you know, like I've tried all the different ways of getting that out onto social media so that people can understand not to be afraid of their wig, but to at the same time be super careful with their wig. And I think that that's the first thing is like, is, you know, my answer to everything is get educated. Right. You know, and as someone uh, who was very uncomfortable with their pieces and then binged all of your YouTube videos and there's I love you. even my favorite is the, um, the dryer sheet and the brush for the static. That's fantastic. Oh yeah. It's I, freaking I brilliant. Think- I think the one the one that should be the most um, popular is the one called sagging styles, where like you un- if you understand the construction of the top of the wig and how it's sewn to come forward into your face and you brush it in the opposite direction, it's the simplest thing that can make you look and feel like a person. And it takes three seconds, you know, oh, to run a bunch. You're right. That is in that is a right good one also. In the right direction. That's a good one. Okay, I'm linking right. the YouTube channel in the show notes. Go if you are a wig you. person. Go binge all of those. There's so much great information there. Um, aside from YouTube, if someone wants to learn more about you, Gitzel, where can they go? So I'm on Instagram at Gitzel Wigs, um, G-I-T-E-L-W-I-G-S. Um, just so that you should just know, like, because a lot of people spell Gitzel with two T's. I don't know what's up with that, but um, <laughs> so at Gitzel Wigs on Instagram, Gitzel Wigs on Facebook, um, and we're working on a website and it's going to be a center for wig education um and it's it's such a life goal for me and i i've owned the domain name now for a couple of years and it's just it's like one of those things that you know like as a mom as a as an entrepreneur as somebody who runs my own business i i just cannot get around to but it is something that i'm motivated by the riskies <laughs> in my life because you know here you are you know, married three years and you're already a force to be reckoned with, you know, even in wigs, you know? So I, I think that- <laughs> Force um, to be reckoned with in wigs? Yeah, because you know what? You just went and chopped off your hair for the sake of just getting a little more comfortable and getting to getting to be comfortable with what you're in every day. And I think that that in itself is a force, you know? I do. You're very sweet. You're very sweet. The last you, thing I'm going to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is to you, Gitzel Rosenzweig, what does it mean to make an impact? Ah, that's, that's deep, man. That is deep. It's that a good one. Deep. It's a life goal to me. It's okay. a life goal to me. I Somebody just messaged me the other day. She's married for 19 years, and a couple of friends referred her to me, and after we had a 45 minute video consultation, she messaged me a half an hour later. I just explained to my husband that you treated me like a Kala, like a bride, like somebody who's coming into hair covering, knowing nothing, even though I'm covering my hair for 19 years and how important and how helpful that was to me. And I said to her, that is the definition of my life goal. That is, you know, without, without, you and me being in the same generation or the same industry or even the same, uh, you know, we're, we're not in the same borough, you know, we're in the same city, but we're not in the same borough without being in the same life place. Um, you and I have that in common where, you know, and it took me being friends with Rifki <laughs> to learn this, that ha- having an impact is something that I have always loved and wanted to be and do and have you know and um and I thank you for being that friend who helped me put that into words it's always a good time spending spending some time talking to you Gittel thank you very much for coming on that was very sweet 
my pleasure. Thank you for having me and thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Gittel, her links are all in the show notes. There you'll also find links to the most perfect pleated skirt, the coziest scarf, and the most comfortable mask. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art or going to impactfashionnyc.com. If you'd like to apply to advertise on the Be Impactful podcast, please send me an email at rifke at impactfashionnyc.com. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. They seriously make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Yitzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.